Well, good morning again. Uh, a little story about myself. Up until I got married, um, my mum always cut my hair. And you can probably tell now who cuts my hair. That's uh, me. Uh, but yeah, this is me uh, getting my hair cut when I was a young boy. Uh, I pretty much had the same hairstyle throughout my childhood years. It, it pretty much looked exactly the same. It kind of changed <laughs> right towards the end, but pretty much looks the same. Um, but I knew there was one type of haircut that I wouldn't be caught dead with. And of course, it was the mullet. But 30 years later, believe it or not, but somehow the mullet has become a thing. Have you noticed that? Even watching the blues play on Wednesday night. Not only did I have to put up with bad blues play, but I had to put up with grown men uh, with mullets. Somehow the mullet has become a thing. Now rewind 2,000 years, and as foreign as biz- and bizarre as it might sound, these rank pagans become Christian and then they are convinced to be circumcised. Somehow circumcision became a thing in Galatia. Now, whether it's mullets or circumcision, I don't know how any adult in their right mind would want to be would want to get either. But but people did get circumcised back then and today grow mullets. Why? I'm no psychologist, but I think they're both status symbols. Uh, They provide you a status, right? A state before others or or for circumcision before God. And and they give you that sense of who I am. This is my state before people, before God. Uh, So I want to ask the question this morning. uh, Do you ever feel anxious about your state, either before others or, for that matter, before God? Well, if that's you, then the letter of Galatians is actually for you. It was written to remind the Galatian Christians of their status before God. That was the principal reason it was written. And by knowing that status, that they are justified before God, that they are right before him, they can live lives free from the need to justify themselves before others, as Peter tried to do, or before God. That is why the book of Galatians was written. And we're going to think a little bit more about this topic as we look at the final chapter of Galatians. But let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you particularly for this letter to the church in Galatia 2,000 years ago. Thank you that we can be reminded as we read this letter, and in particular chapter 6, that, that we have a status before you that is unchanging. And that frees us to love one another as you have loved us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of this short letter to the Galatians. And so it's important at this point to think back to where we've come from. 
And helpfully, Paul does this for us. Have a look at chapter 6, verse 12. It says, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Uh, This is the different gospel of chapter 1. That is really no gospel at all, says Paul. It's the Jesus plus gospel. And Paul spends chapter 1 and 2 trying to defend his authority as an apostle to preach the true gospel given to him by Jesus himself. That's chapter 1 and 2. Why do these people uh, teach this different gospel? Well, Paul tells us, chapter 6, verse 12 again, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Uh, The cross, of course, is highly offensive. It says you are guilty as hell, And you can't save yourself. Only Jesus can do that. And so Paul then spends chapter 3 and 4 immersed in that idea that is through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not works of the law, nothing that we can do to add on to what Jesus has done that justifies us, that makes us sons of God. Don't be fools, Paul says, chapter 6, verse 13. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. And Paul says, don't listen to them. Chapter 5, verse 1 is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so Paul spends chapter 5 and chapter 6 reminding him of that freedom. And what that freedom looks like. You are now free. Free from judgment, but not to indulge the flesh, but rather, chapter 5, verse 13, to serve one another humbly in love. That's what you're free to do now as a Christian, because your status is right before God. But in order to do that, we need to, point number one, not become Conceited. In verse 26, we read, let us not become conceited. The word conceited in Greek is kenodoxo. Uh, it means to be emptied of glory. That's what conceited means, to be emptied of glory. What does that mean? Well, let's listen to Madonna to help us understand. Uh, she once said these words, uh, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become a somebody, I still have to prove that I am a somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. It's actually quite astute what she observes about herself. That, that feeling that Madonna describes, now, that's a pretty good picture of what it means to be emptied of glory. Uh, the ego has been described like a balloon with a small leak in it. The balloon is always leaking that feeling, as Madonna describes it, of being a somebody. And so you've got to blow up the balloon a little bit more, fill it with some more glory, because it's always leaking. 
And so when we feel emptied of glory, we begin to chapter 5, verse 26, provoke one another and envy each other. Uh, Provoking here means to challenge someone to a contest. Uh, Historically, this was the act of dueling. This was what dueling was all about. It's what the word provoking means. It was literally to challenge someone to a contest, to show that you were better than them, that you could defeat them. It's what provoking means. On the other hand, envy means to desire something that is not yours to have. And it's born out of that feeling of inferiority. And both provoking and envy are driven by that feeling of being emptied of glory and the desire to be filled with glory once more. As Tim Keller writes, he says, the only difference between the person of arrogance and the person with low self-esteem is that the inferior person has lost at the game. So what's the solution? Well, as a Christian, you're actually a new creation. Uh, We had a discussion at growth group. Oh, My mistake, I turned one extra page. Let me say that again. So what's the solution? Or is there one? Maybe like Madonna, my struggle has never ended. And I guess it never will. Well, friends, there is good news. We can be glory-filled in a completely different way. We just need to be reminded, point number two, that we are a new creation. Uh, We read from verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. See, circumcision, what did it do? It provided status for the Jew, much like a mullet provides status for a bogan, right? Uh, But whether you're circumcised or not, whether you've got a mullet or not, those things are merely outward and physical. Rather, when you're a Christian, Paul says, there is something inward and spiritual that has taken place. As a Christian, you're actually a new creation. Uh, We had a conversation at Bible study during the week um, about whether Christians are sinners or not. What do you reckon? If someone asks you that question, are you a sinner or not? That's a difficult question to answer. But what does the New Testament say? When you look at the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, rarely, if ever, calls Christians, at least collectively, as sinners. Never. Almost exclusively it's saints. We are holy. Paul says to the saints... In Colossae. He doesn't say to the sinners. Uh, the closest you ever come is Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, when he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But of course, he's talking about his past life. You see, you're a new creation in Christ if you're a Christian here today. The Spirit has given you new birth into a living hope, as the Apostle Peter will say. You have been born again, a new creation in Christ. In fact, Jesus says you have to be born again. 
to enter the kingdom of God. In Christ, something new and spectacular has happened. Chapter 5, verse 24 says, We have crucified or killed the flesh with its passions and desires, and now with God's Spirit living in us, we have been raised to new life spiritually and one day physically. You're already a new creation in Christ. We are just catching up with what we already are. And if you know that, then the ego is filled. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You're justified. You're a child of your heavenly Father, and that status cannot change. The ego is filled with Jesus. In fact, for Paul, and also it should be for us, it's overflowing. That's why Paul can say, verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The word boast here is essentially the same as glory. Paul isn't conceited. He's not empty of glory. In fact, he's overflowing with it. But it's not boasting in himself, is it? But boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can Paul do this? How can we do this? Well, because through the cross, verse 14, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What's Paul saying? What does he mean? Well, he's saying that all that used to glitter and shine, for him it was being a Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, that's That was his boast. And for him, that built his ego. For you, it might be the world's affirmation that fills you up when you feel empty. That's the temptation. The position, maybe the job position that gives you recognition that you feel you deserve or or the intimate relationship that gives you that sense of worth. And Paul is saying that's been crucified. They're not unimportant things, but they don't fill me with glory. Jesus does. And when our ego is filled, that is when, point number three, we can do good to all. You see, rather than being conceited, emptied of glory and seeking glory by pushing others down or striving upwards, the gospel fills us so that we can see one another not as competition, but chapter 6, verse 1, as brothers and sisters. Formerly as those who were conceded, we would in superiority look down on someone caught in a sin, judgmentally blaming them for their stupidity and thereby filling our own egos, thinking we could never stoop to that level. But as brothers and sisters filled with glory, chapter 6, verse 1, if, if someone is caught in a sin, Paul says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And when someone sins, particularly when someone's close to us, the temptation is to judge them and to come down harsh on them, to blame them, to show our disappointment. How could you do that? To be harsh, Paul says. But, but Paul actually says the opposite. He says to be gentle. 
Uh, I remember once listening to Peter Jensen, uh, the former Archbishop of Sydney, and he shared really candidly about his own family. He shared about how one day his son came home and he sat his mum and dad down and he said, I got a girl pregnant. And this was all while Peter was Archbishop of Sydney and Peter sat down with his wife. He embraced his son and he said, it's okay, I'm going to pray for you. You are now a father and you're going to welcome a little child and so I'm going to pray for you. And he did. They were gentle. They, they didn't excuse their son's sin. That had consequences. But they graciously prayed for him as well. If you know a brother or sister is caught trapped habitually in sin, uh, the nice thing to do, and this is what we, like, we often attempted to do, is to ignore it. But that's actually not the loving thing. Uh, in the 21st century, when I think of Christians caught in sin, and this is probably because I'm a youth minister, the number one thing I think of, and I almost know young people are trapped in, is pornography. Almost 100%. They are trapped in pornography. It's everywhere. I have them... Some of them, they tell me graciously, they share that with me. And so what do you do? Well, you walk alongside them. And you be vulnerable with your own struggles. Say, I struggle with that too. It's hard. But I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. That by God's Spirit, who changed your loves, to love what is good and right and true and honourable. Helping a brother or sister caught in a sin is one way, verse 2, to carry each other's burdens. That's how we do it. Carry each other's burdens, and on this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. Uh, the phrase to fulfil the law of Christ has already been alluded to by Paul in chapter 5. It says these words, Serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Paul is saying that when we serve one another humbly in love, we're actually carrying one another's burdens. And we might uh, speak about it as sharing the load. And it could be sharing the load of those responsible for raising young kids. It's a difficult time when they are very young. Or it could be the problems of life for young people, peer pressure. Uh, for others, maybe a little older, it could be financial hardship. It could be mental illness. It's rampant in our society and it's regular in the church. It's, it's prevalent. Or it could be the burdens and trials of old age. The church is here. We are here to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, to love one another deeply. And so I want to challenge you this week, um, if, if you yourself are not weighed down with those excessive burdens of your own, because sometimes we are, 
Maybe this week you could, you could stop and you could think, who's one person, who's one person at the moment that I know is burdened? Pray for them. Contact them, call them, meet up with them, pray for them, pray with them, that they might be supported, encouraged as they face that burden. Because in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. Let me finish. Last year, our singer and songwriter Adele uh, she dedicated her latest album to her son after her recent divorce from her husband. And she wrote these very strange words. She said, When my son is in his 20s or 30s, he can understand who I am and why I voluntarily choose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. They have very bizarre words very strange. I don't know Adele, I don't, I don't know what she went through. But it's actually a sign in our 21st century Western culture that the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of self-love can completely overtake because of our seeming need to fill ourselves up, to feel that sense of of I am a person who is worthy to be loved. Uh, it's a strange phrase that she uses, uh, but it highlights the extremes that we can go to, that people in our world will go to. But actually, as Christians in this world, this sort of phrase will become increasingly prevalent. But actually... As Christians, that's not a bad thing because we know something different. You see, we can live completely countercultural lives, not lives of self-love that see the ultimate goal in life as my happiness, but actually we can see it as love thy neighbour. That's what life is about, loving God, loving others. And we will be increasingly countercultural as we live that out in our world. And we will shine as lights in this dark world. Well, we began with the question, do you ever feel anxious about your status before others or, for that matter, before God? Do you ever feel emptied of glory, that need to provoke or to envy another? I hope we've been reminded this morning that you have a status before God that is never changing. You don't need to do anything outward or physical to maintain that status because there's been an inward and spiritual transformation. The Spirit of God has entered your heart. You're a new creation in Christ. So you no longer have to justify yourself before others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the status that we have as new creation in Christ. We pray that that would not be a boast in ourselves, but a boast in the glory of the Lord Jesus, who has filled us up with his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.